This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Oh, the force is strong with you today. I like that. Well done, yeah. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege to lead us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God. And I want to tell you right from the very beginning, my goal for today is that you would walk out of here and head into this Christmas week with a sense of ah, relaxation, sense of joy and excitement leading into this week. Not the, oh my gosh, I got to get it done. We got to make sure we have the ham cooked and the presents wrapped and everything. Okay, there's plenty of that. I want us to walk out of here with some hope that there's some real excitement about this week, but uh, ah, there's a peace around this week. And a couple of things you're going to want to have to help us get on the same page this morning are found inside this program. You should have grabbed one of these when you walked in. If you walked in and grabbed a program that does not look like this, that means a different church infiltrated our church and gave you their program. So get rid of that. Get this program because inside are two things you want to grab. This card that says start here. It's our connection card. Helps us stay connected to you, helps you stay connected to us and the things we're doing here at New Life in our city and around the world. So go ahead and put your name on that. And if you're a guest with us, maybe put your email address on it. And then in a little bit, we're going to pass some baskets. I just ask you to drop this card in the basket when it's passed. So go ahead and get that ready. I'm going to give you an opportunity to mark something down later, and then I'm going to give you some free stuff if you mark it down. And everybody likes free stuff. So go ahead and get your card ready. The other thing you want are our teaching notes. They've got the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill-in-the-blanks, ways to take the things we're learning and just take some next steps with them throughout this week. So go ahead and get that ready. Well, have you ever noticed how busy this week feels for so many of us? But my hope is that we'll enter into this week like we used to back when we were kids. Think back to when you were in school. You got out of school for Christmas break, and that first day or two was very exciting. And then you hit Monday of Christmas week, and it felt like that week just dragged on forever. And then you got to Christmas Eve, and if you're like me, we had a Christmas Eve celebration with our extended family, which was my first opportunity to tear open gifts, to um, engage with my family in meaningful ways. That's what I mean. Christmas Eve was my first opportunity to really engage with my family in meaningful ways by tearing open gifts. And that was at 4 o'clock, and that day was the longest day of my life sitting around, waiting, wanting it to get here, anticipating that day. But then as we grow up, Christmas week tends to speed up. And life in general speeds up, doesn't it? As we get older, because of work and and kids and their school and sports and and our schoolwork, our extracurriculars and marriage and finances, everything, worlds just kind of speed up the older we get. Which is why you can ask a kid, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And unless their weekend was filled to the brim with Marine World and San Francisco and a million different things, they'll say to you with a look of sadness and almost disgust, I didn't do anything this weekend. But you can ask the same adult that question, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And with almost a guilty pleasure on their face, they'll say, I didn't do anything this weekend. Why is that? 
because those weekends are so few and far between for us. Because the older we get, the busier we get. And the busier we get, the more stressed out we feel. Uh, Some surveys said that recently uh, that one-third of teenagers admit to worrying and stressing out about their family's finances. It said that uh, 43% of kids are stressed out about bullying and homework, and the majority of ways that they cope with that are through things like uh, disconnecting from the world and listening to music. 26% of the kids surveyed said they cope with uh, stress by eating more, and 22% said they cope with it by talking to mom and dad, which means that 78% of kids who are stressed out cope with that stress in a way other than talking to their parents. And we have to ask, why? Well, because parents were stressed out too. And kids are extremely perceptive. If they feel like we are at our brink, they don't want to bring their stress into our life, so they deal with it in other ways. In fact, 62% of Americans claim that we are stressed out about work. In all, uh, two-thirds of all cuss words are because of stress-related issues. And you're thinking right now, blank, yeah, they are. Did you know that each year, roughly 275 million working days are lost because of absenteeism due to stress-related illnesses? Busyness, stress, the going, going, going of life is an epidemic in our community. Wouldn't it be good news if God, who we come and we sing about and we engage with each week, wouldn't it be good news if God had something to say about stress? Maybe if God had a different way to live both this week and in our lives. Well, we're in a series called Carols that we're wrapping up this week. And for four weeks, we've been taking some of our favorite Christmas carols, and our team's been putting them together in some really fun ways. And then we take a a line from those songs, and we see what God has to say about it in our lives. And I want you to go ahead and take a listen to one of my favorite Christmas carols as our team plays, and then we'll jump in this morning.
song. And did you, did you catch the theme? God rest ye merry. And then it's interesting. There's a comma there. Gentlemen, here's what he's saying. God rest you with merriment, with joy, with peace, with relaxation. God rest ye merry. Gentlemen, let nothing ye dismay. And that song comes out of something that Jesus taught that we're going to look at in just a second. Um, but the thing is, this idea of busyness and stress and anxiety is actually nothing new to us. This was a major theme when Jesus walked this earth. In fact, there were, there were people who were dealing with the same things. Family issues, um, work issues, understanding how to engage in society where they were living. If statistics hold true that say the number one marital stressor is finances. Well, guess what? When Jesus lived, the majority of people he was talking to were poor, right on the brink of financial disaster. So they probably had money issues as well. And one day Jesus is talking to this huge crowd and he says something absolutely transformative to them. We find it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, come to me, come to me, everybody who's weary, who's burdened, who's stressed out, who's sleep-deprived, who's exhausted, who can't imagine making it through the next four days to get to Christmas, who's thinking, I got to get there, get there. Hopefully I can make it through so I can rest. Thank God Christmas is over. Come to me, everybody who's weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we'll talk about that word yoke in just a minute because I want to unpack it for us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Underline that. You will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand that this word rest in the original language wasn't like taking a nap. He's not saying, come to me, we'll have a sleepover, we'll get a good night's sleep. This idea of rest in the original language had this idea of refreshment, of, of, oh man, now I'm ready to go out and face the day. It's kind of like I experienced when I was back in high school in Southern California. I grew up down by Pasadena, and it was always hot in Southern California, And in high school, we had open campus, which meant you could leave at lunchtime. And so my friends and I would pile in my buddy's 78 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, and we'd go rolling down the road to Mark's house. And Mark had a pool in his backyard, so we wouldn't waste time getting into our board shorts. All of our clothes and everything, we would just go jump into the pool, 95 degrees outside, hit that cool water, and you come up, and you were just like, oh, so refreshed. We'd swim around for a while. I was very small, so they would dunk me a couple times to feel better about themselves and their manhood. I've worked through it. And then we'd go back to school, where I would head to fifth period geometry, soaking wet. I was that kid who walked in, soaking wet. I'd sit down, and I would just uh, bug people for the rest of the day. But I was refreshed enough to do it. 
Now, on days when I didn't go swimming at Mark's house, I would come in exhausted after eating Del Taco or Taco Bell into geometry class, and I would almost always fall asleep in fifth period geometry, which is why I had to retake math two times in college just to pass. There was no common core. It's tragic. (laughs) A little note if you're a student right now. If you're going to fall asleep in class, fall asleep in English, fall asleep in history, do not fall asleep in geometry if your teacher has a squirt bottle because he knows angles. (laughs) And he would take his squirt bottle and he would shoot it just perfectly to hit me. The very back of the classroom, boop, boop, right in the head. Everybody laughed. And I was awake, refreshed from that cool water mixed with cleaning solution. But friends, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Not a nap. Not a nap. Refreshment. Refreshment for our minds and the way we think. Refreshment for our bodies and the way we live. And he says, you will find rest for your soul. Refreshment for the deepest part of who we are. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And to understand that, we have to know that Jesus was speaking to an agricultural society, and the yoke was placed on the oxen's shoulders to help them plow the fields. It was so that they could take this heavy load of the plow and, and uh, equal the weight out and be able to go through the field. It was designed to make it easier for the oxen to do their job. But as time went on, there were various religious teachers and religious leaders, and each one had their own interpretation of the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament of the Bible, there are 630 laws And the Jews believed in order to follow God, you had to keep the majority, if not all, of these laws. And then each of these religious leaders, these teachers, had a different interpretation of the laws, and they would add more rules on top of the laws to make sure that you followed the law. And that teaching, that interpretation, was called their yoke. So if you learned from a specific teacher in a specific church, you would take on that teacher's yoke upon yourself. The problem with their yoke was their yoke was heavy and exhausting and burdensome, and no one could keep it. And it left everyone feeling like they were distant from God, trying to get to God, but ultimately never able to do it because no one could keep the 630 laws, and no one could keep the hundreds of laws on top of that. And so Jesus is talking to a group of people who are exhausted from trying to get to God. And he says, come to me because I'm gentle and humble And learn from me because my yoke, my teaching is easy and my burden is light. And if you were raised in the church, my guess is that was not your experience of Jesus' teaching. Easy and light and restful. But that's what Jesus is inviting. He's saying, come on over to me. Learn from me. Partner with me in this life. And if you do, here's the great promise. You will find refreshment for every part of who you are. That's why at Christmas we can sing, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing ye dismay. Because that same Jesus that was born on Christmas Day is the one teaching us to come to him and experience refreshment. For the rest of our morning together, what I'd like to do is I want to explore four keys to experiencing that refreshment from God. Because Jesus offers it to each of us. I want to talk to you if you're a Jesus follower for a second. And if you're brand new to Christianity, I'm so glad you're here. Brand new to the church, just checking it out. You get a sneak peek right now. But can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know that you have the opportunity to be the most refreshed person in your neighborhood? 
the most refreshed person at work, the person with the most peace and joy in every circumstance you come into. Why? Because God, he offers it. Jesus says, I want to give you peace. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone was, if someone was to look at, at your life and decide whether or not they wanted to be a Christian based on the level of refreshment you're experiencing right now, would they say, absolutely, I want to follow that God. Look at how refreshed they are. It's Christmas, and they have this lightness, this joy about them, this anticipation. Or they say, wow, you seem really stressed out. (laughs) Jesus does not want something from you today. He wants to give a gift to you today. And that gift is a different way to experience life. It's a refreshment to your soul. So we're going to talk about four keys to experiencing that gift. And the first one is this. If we want to experience that gift, we have to know who's ultimately in control. We've talked about this idea before, that in life, someone has to be in control. We know that intuitively. We know that at our deepest level. Someone must be in control of this world. Someone must be in control of life. Here at New Life, we believe that God is ultimately in control. But if you don't believe God's in control, then someone has to be. And that someone is probably you. Someone has to be in control of your marriage, of your finances, of your vocation, of your kids. Somebody has to be in control. And the weight of being in control of your life is a heavy weight. And it leaves a lot of us exhausted. If we feel like we are ultimately the ones in control of our finances, of our family, of our marriage— of our future, of our mortgage, if we're ultimately in control, then we have all the weight of that on ourselves. And that weight holds us down. But ultimately, let's just be honest, control's an illusion. We have limited control. But it just takes one phone call, one doctor's appointment, one bit of bad news to let us know how little control we ultimately have in this world. So rather than holding on to the illusion of control, what if we decided that, you know what, I don't ultimately want to hold that responsibility, that God can actually have it. There's a guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. His name is Paul, and he started out as one of those religious leaders I talked about earlier who kept all 630 laws, and he was pretty strict about it, and he had hundreds, if not thousands of laws he put on top of that. That was his yoke. He was an extremely devout Jewish leader. And one day— As he was buried under the weight of his own life, he was walking down a dirt road, and on that dirt road, he had an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus changed his life, changed his trajectory. And instead of taking his yoke, he took Jesus' yoke upon himself. He came to God, and it changed everything. It gave him a freedom in life to know that ultimately he was not the one in control. And he was writing a letter to a group of people in Rome, and we find this letter in the New Testament in a book called Romans. And in this letter, he says, you know what? I've learned who's ultimately in control. Look who Paul says is in control. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And the idea of knowing there is not a cerebral knowing in our head. Paul's saying we know from experience. We've lived in this world long enough to know that we don't ultimately have control over everything that there are circumstances outside of our control. But here's what we've learned, that ultimately God works everything out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose or according to his plan. Now, here's what Paul is not saying. 
He's not saying that God causes everything. There are actually two realities at work in this world. There's God who's working actively to work everything out for good for those who love him. But there's this other force in the world called sin. And if you're brand new to church, I want to give you just a very brief definition of sin. It can be our working definition, and we can play with it as time goes on. But you can think about sin like this. It's, it's the things that you and I think, that we say, and that we do that are hurting us. You're hurting yourself. I'm hurting myself when I sin. They're hurting the people we love the most. And if there is a perfect God, then sin, which is imperfection, has separated us from God. And I don't have to tell you what sin is. You have two ways you know what sin is. If you're married, your spouse has told you you sin, so you're good there. But we've all laid in bed at night, and we thought to ourselves, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to go there again. I don't want to blow up on the kids again. I don't want to look at that again or drink it or smoke it. Never again. And then a week later or a month later or a year later, you're looking at it, drinking it, smoking it, blowing up on them. And you think to yourself, why do I keep doing this? Well, God tells us it's because either God's in control of your life or this sin thing has control of your life. And when God takes control of our lives, he actually conquers that power of that sin thing in our lives. But sin's at work, and we don't have to live very long to see the ramifications of that. Some of our deepest pain and hurts and heartaches, some of our biggest tragedies have come at the hands of someone else choosing to sin. And it scarred you in very deep ways. So Paul's not saying God causes everything because there's sin in this world. But here's what he's saying, and this is great news, okay? So lean in, I got a secret for you. He's saying even when sin does its worst, God can redeem it. He can work it out. He gives us the picture of this like beautiful tapestry where God is weaving everything together, our hurts, our heartaches, our pain, along with the good in this world. He's weaving it together to make a beautiful picture that God's ultimately at work. You could say it this way, God's at work and he'll work it out. He may work it out in this world, he may work it out in eternity, but ultimately God's in control. He's at work and he'll work it out. Now, now what would it look like if we really believed that? we went through every day, letting go of the illusion that we had control of everything and we could take care of everything. And if we just planned enough, worked enough, saved enough, we could just make our own little bubble so that no one ever got hurt and there was never any pain. What if we let go of that illusion because we know it's not true and replaced it with the fact that God's ultimately in control. He's ultimately at work and he's working on our behalf. Think about how freeing that would be. Think about the weight that you could lift off your shoulders, the yoke you could take off and give to God. So that's the first key. If you want to experience this refreshment, we have to know who's ultimately in control. And then secondly, we have to embrace God's rhythms of life. Like I said, I'm a Southern California kid. We did not have seasons in Southern California. Uh, We had a really hot time called summer in the valley, and then we had a slightly less hot time called winter, where it dropped to like 75 to 80 degrees. And if you're from Southern California, you know this is true. When it dropped below 80 degrees, we're talking 78, 79, you threw on your sweater, didn't you? It's like, oh, it's frigid. Yeah. Christmas Day, 80 degrees, Melikaliki Maka. It was wonderful. But we did not have seasons. 
Then I moved to Northern California, and we have something a lot closer to seasons. We don't have snow, but we're hoping someday we might. We have, we have rain. It's like, it's like Seattle winter, basically, is what we have, Seattle weather. But we have warm summers. We have fall. We have this cold, rainy time called winter. And then we have spring. We have seasons. Did you know that God gave seasons to us for a reason? He gave us seasons, or we call them rhythms, both in the world around us, but also in our personal lives. God created us to experience seasons of life and rhythms in life. And we need to embrace God's rhythms. We don't have to. We can get away without it for a certain period of time, but to experience refreshment, we got to embrace the rhythms. For example, God gave us a daily rhythm. He created you to be awake and to work and to have fun for a certain amount of time, and then created you to sleep for seven and a half or more hours. Now, you and I can buck that rhythm for a certain period of time, but you can't go too long bucking God's rhythm and get the most out of your day, can you? We need to sleep. We were created for daily rhythms. But did you know we were also created for weekly rhythms? Get this. God is so good that God created one whole day of the week just to refresh. Who does that? Who creates a day? Who thinks up? thinks, I'm going to make a day where the only purpose is to celebrate God, to celebrate family and friends, to have fun, to go out and enjoy nature, and to refresh yourself. Now, we don't have to take him up on that day. It's a gift he wants to give to us. But have you ever gotten to Monday morning and you wake up Monday morning and you're exhausted? You can't imagine making it through the next week? You know why? Because we've bucked God's rhythm for our week. This thing, this day of rest, this like, this magical place where you spend 24 hours refreshing, it's called Sabbath. And God talks about it in the book of Exodus, the very beginning of the Bible. Notice what he says in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. That means keep it set apart. Six days, you can do all your work, your, your, your job, your schoolwork, uh, go shopping, clean the house. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant, nor your animals. By the way, someone said to me after first service, um, hey, it didn't say anything about wives in there. I said, I wouldn't go there if I were you. (laughs) You, your husband and your wife, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals. Your animals can't even work nor any foreigner residing in your towns. No one works. Verse 11 says this. Here's why. Because in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. God created the world in a rhythm. Therefore, God blessed that Sabbath day and made it holy. God blessed a whole day just to refresh. That's amazing. Listen, if that was the only reason to follow God, because he gave you a day just to have fun and refresh, that's a pretty good reason. God is amazing. My family started doing this a few years ago, this idea of Sabbath. Now, we don't call it Sabbath because who does these days? We call it Finkbiter Family Fun Day. Now, If you're on Facebook with the Finkbiners, you'll see every week, pretty much, we have Finkbiner Family Fun Day, and we love it. 
It's time where Maria and I have a good time together. We celebrate love and romance where, where we celebrate God. Uh, we, we play with our kids and we tell them stories. We go out and have adventures. Our kids love Sabbath day because for them, it's the most fun day of the week. This is not a time to sit around and, and you know, stare at each other all day and do a deep Bible study. No, no, no. It's a day to refresh with God, to get out in his presence and to have fun. If you're thinking, boy, that sounds pretty cool, but I wouldn't know where to start. How, how do you do this Sabbath thing? Well, on your card, I told you I was going to give you some free stuff. On your card on the back of it, it says, I want to apply today's teaching by. And the top one says, I'd like a list of Sabbath specifics. If you mark that on your card, I will email you some of the guidelines that our family uses when we set up our Sabbath, some of the things that we do. It's not a, a big list of rules. It's just some, hey, here's some elements we want to incorporate into Finkbinder Family Fun Day. So you can have your own family fun day. And whether you're a single, uh, whether you're married, have kids, this is just a great practice to get ready for the next week. God designed us to experience rhythms. The next question becomes, well, what would I do? What would I do with that day? And that's the third key to refreshing. We need to sustain ourselves with refreshing activities. If we believe that God's at work and he'll work it out, we can take the weight of the world off our shoulders. If we start to incorporate some space in our lives to refresh, then the question becomes, what do I do? If I was to ask you right now, if you had a half hour this week with nothing to do, what would you do to refresh yourself? Would you have an answer? If I said to you, if you had two hours with nothing to do, no one's there, you're all by yourself, what would you do to refresh yourself? Would you have any idea what to do? If I said by some Christmas miracle, you had a full day this week with nothing to do, would you have any idea what to do? Or would you spend hours saying, what should I do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? You're talking to yourself with multiple personalities in that dialogue, by the way. Because there's a difference between relaxing and refreshing. Vegging out, watching TV, watching Modern Family, uh, getting into Survivor, watching Blue Bloods. I'm a big fan because Tom Selleck is the man watching Blue Bloods right now. Yeah, amen for that mustache. Watch out. <laughs> but watching three hours of Blue Bloods is, is not refreshing. You will, you will be done glassy-eyed and think, what did I just do with myself? Oh, yeah, it's, there's a difference. And refreshing activities take forethought and take planning, but they're the things that prepare us to enjoy the fullness of the day. Some of my refreshing activities, I love driving my MG. I've got a, a 1973 convertible MGB British Racing Green. It is awesome. It's awesome. I almost said it's the bomb, but then I realized we're not in 94 anymore, but it is. I love taking rides out D Street. If I've got a, an hour, I just drive out D Street Extension in my MG. Our seven-year-old and I went out for a drive yesterday, Maddie and I. We went out, we sang songs together, we held hands, we talked about the day, and we got back and we were refreshed. It was so nice. If I have an hour or two, I go out to the beach. Because for me, being in nature refreshes me. I love wrestling with the kids. That refreshes me. When I get home in the afternoon, Landon and I almost always wrestle. He says, Dad, I'm going to wrestle you. I'm like, bring it on who's stronger? He says, I'm stronger. I lift him up over my head. I say, who's stronger now? And he waves around and says, I'm stronger. Wrong. <laughs> but he does. He tears his shirt off and we wrestle. I love wrestling with that kid. It makes me so happy. Plus, I can still beat him. 
I love good-hearted mischief. If I've got an hour with nothing to do, I love planning a caper or a prank. If you ever get teepeed, it's probably me. I love it. You know what's funny? Uh, apparently, I have a friend in the church named Steve who's working in kids' life right now, and he likes good-hearted mischief. Because as I was talking about this first service, I took a sip of my coffee, and it was extremely sweet. And I thought to myself, I put a lot of honey in my coffee today. It is disgustingly sweet. And as I was walking back to preach second service, Steve said to me, uh, Hey, Kevin, how's your coffee this morning? <laughs> he dumped packets of sugar into it when I was in the bathroom. Because he likes good-hearted mischief as well. You know what else I love? I love watching turkeys. I think they are majestic birds. I do. I do. It refreshes me. When we were first, when Maria and I were first dating, we were driving on a date one night, and there, were, there was a male turkey, a tom turkey, and three females, and he was doing this, like, mating dance where he's hopping around, and I pulled the car over. She's like, what do you do? I said, look at the turkeys. And we watched for, like, a half hour. We left before it got too risky. But watching turkeys refreshes me. I know that's weird. I know. I know it's weird. But it refreshes. What refreshes you? What refreshes you? Can I invite you this week? Take 20 minutes. Go home. Take 20 minutes. Tell the kids they need to have some alone time. Lock them in their rooms. Take 20 minutes. Write down 30 minutes, an hour, a day, and just start brainstorming ideas so that when you find that time, you know what you're going to do. Don't waste 20 minutes of a half hour trying to figure out what to do. What refreshes you? The last one is this, and this could be my favorite. Take delight in God. If you want to refresh yourself, take delight in God. Jesus talks a lot about our posture when we come into a relationship with God. Like, what kind of posture should we take coming into that relationship? And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, come in serious. If you want to know God, get serious. Which is why I I tend to not get overly serious. He doesn't say, study hard, get deep into theology if you really want to know God, if you want to come into a relationship with God, know your theology. That's good, that's good stuff, but that's not how we enter in. He doesn't say, work hard to figure it out before you come into a relationship with God. You know what he says? Come like a kid. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Truly I tell you, unless you become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. One of the reasons I think Jesus invites us to come to God like children is because children find delight in almost everything. They don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They don't have to figure out what's going on when they're little. So they just play. They imagine. They dream. They run around. They have whimsy in their lives. And Jesus over and over again told us, God is not some distant deity that sits out there waiting to drop the hammer and judge us. God's more like a personal, powerful, loving, present, heavenly Father who's always only good all the time. And he says, if God is like that, then we can come to him like kids, giving him the weight of the world and enjoying a little childlike fun. So I have some ideas for us this year. Christmas is the perfect time to act like kids. I mean the perfect time, isn't it? I have a couple challenges to you to help us embrace coming to God like children. Because I think if 
God's like a perfect father, then he wants us to come like kids, and kids love to play. So I thought one of the things we could do this week to refresh ourselves is just play. So here's what I want to invite you to do on Christmas Day. If you're going to be around kids, your kids, nieces, nephews, your friends' kids, your grandkids, if you're going to be around kids, here's what I want to invite you to do. When the presents are open, they've torn through everything, and they're playing on the ground. Our tendency as parents and grandparents and friends and aunties and uncles, our tendency is finally to get a cup of coffee and sit down on the sofa and let them enjoy all the fun. Can I challenge us to get down on the floor with them and start playing? Get down on your knees this Christmas and just play with your kids. Play with them. Play with their Star Wars action figures. Play with the Barbie doll. Braid their hair. Race the cars. You know what'll happen? I think you'll be refreshed. Exhausted, maybe, physically, because they got you up at 3.30. (laughs) Tell them, Santa doesn't come before 6. Get back to bed. But refreshed. Refreshed. Get on the floor and play. Come like a child on Christmas Day. God, think about this. God, who created everything, and we're going to dive into this on Christmas Eve, so I don't want to spoil it for you, but God, who created everything, he came like a child. Why wouldn't we come like children on Christmas Day? Another idea is this. If you're married, I want you to buy a totally impractical toy for your spouse. Listen, we know materialism is a big deal, we talk about how we don't want to get too involved. I'm just going to kind of go with materialism for now because you all love to buy stuff on Christmas anyway. So you know you're going to Target one more time. Buy an impractical gift for your spouse. Here's what I would suggest. Buy a Nerf gun because you know you've wanted to shoot him at least once this year. So buy a Nerf gun. Buy two of them. Wrap them up. And on Christmas Day, here's what I want you to do. Unwrap the Nerf guns, push the sofas out, and have a Nerf fight with your spouse. How awesome would that be to come like kids? And here's what I want you to do. If you're going to do that, post it on Facebook because I really want to see. I really want to see. If you don't have someone buying for you, go buy an impractical gift for yourself. I like remote-controlled helicopters. I got like three or four of those last year from some of you in the church. When you're not here during the week and I've got to blow off some steam, I fly them around in here. A little secret for us. I love it. I love it. Buy an impractical gift this Christmas and experience Christmas like a child. And if you're thinking, that's so childish. Yes. Unless you change, become like a child, you'll never experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing ye dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. And that Savior that was born on Christmas Day grew up and he said to us, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, stressed out, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation. It's a gift that he wants to give to you this Christmas. And it all starts by coming to him. And if you're here today, and I know a number of us probably are, we're here today because a friend invited us or Christmas is just around the corner and we thought, I should get back to church. I should try it out. But you've never come to God like that, like a child, experiencing life with him in a personal way then I'm going to pray in just a second and I'm going to give you a chance partway through that prayer to give your life to God, to say to God, you know what? I'm done living on my own. I'm done carrying that weight of my life on my shoulders. I want to give that weight to you. I'm done living with this sin thing that's kind of all-consuming. I want to give you control of my life so that you can transform me 
forgive me. If you're ready to make that decision, it's the greatest decision you could ever make, and it's the greatest way to start this Christmas week. I'm going to give you a chance to do that by repeating a simple prayer after me. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for all of us that we would experience God's peace and his refreshment this Christmas. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you so much that you are so good to us, so kind to us, so creative, Lord, that you actually, you, you put in our lives opportunities to refresh, that you invite us to find refreshment with you and in your presence. Lord, that you invite us to come to you like children. Thank you, God. For my friends in this room, would you help us to have a mind shift today so that we could experience that rest and that refreshment that you offer. Because Jesus, we want, we want to encounter you this Christmas week and beyond. And we want to experience refreshment at our deepest levels. Thank you for that invitation, God. Would you help us to to look for ways to practically take you up on it? And would you meet us in the process as we get down on our knees and become like children? And as we continue to pray, if you're ready to start a relationship with God, to commit yourself to him, to, to, you know what, to move control from yourself over to God. You can do that by repeating the simple prayer after me. Just whisper it where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life Would you forgive me of my sin, Lord? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.